Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Everybody get a copy of the scripture references? We're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to break the habit we've had for the past four years of taking one text and explaining it and applying it, which is what we call expository preaching. You take one text of the Bible and you expose it and apply it to each one of our lives. Instead, today we're going to do what's called a topical message, and we take a topic and we look and see what the whole Bible has to say about that topic. We don't do this very often because it's not quite as instructive as digging down into one text, but every so often it's, it's helpful to kind of draw back and see what the big picture is. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at multiple passages, and that's why I handed out that list so that you could see the scripture text, and you don't have to do sort of a Bible sword drill trying to keep up, because I've got them printed out up here. I'm not going to actually turn to the passages. So we'll start in Genesis chapter 1, and verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. One of the points of the Bible, one of the reasons the Bible was given to us, is to tell us who we are. And if you've never looked in the mirror or laid awake at night wondering, who am I? You're not really human. All of us, whether consciously or not, struggle with this concept of who are we? Who are we supposed to be? Who do people say that we are? Who do we want to be? Who have we been? How do we change? What does it mean to be me? What does it mean to even be human? What's the difference between humans and animals? What's the difference between some humans and other humans? And on that note, how should we treat other people? Who are people and who should we look at them as when we go to interact with them? That's what Christianity does. That's what all religions really do is they try to answer these fundamental questions of who are we, why are we here, what's our connection, what's our relationship. Every religion tries to give you those answers. Uh, even the religion of science tries to do that. If you ever study the religion of science, that's where they pretend they're not religious, but they answer all those questions about who we are and why we're here using the scientific method. But one way or another, everyone wants to know the big questions. And so we look to what we see as the highest authority to tell us the biggest questions, the answers to the biggest questions. And so as Christians, we have accepted that the Bible is the highest authority because it's God's word to us. And so it answers big questions, like what does it mean to be a human? And why does it even matter? And what do we do with other people, and how do we view them? So we're going to see three things as we go through the scriptures. And we're going to talk about the topic of the image of God. It doesn't really talk about that much. The image of God. And so as we, see, as we go through this text and look at it, we're going to see that the image of God is in everyone, 
that the image of God is corrupted by everyone, and that the only way to restore that image is in Christ. So we start here in Genesis chapter 1 because that's where everything starts. Even the word Genesis means beginning. It's where it comes from. So when we want to talk about humans, we look to where they came from. Where's the origin of humanity? What's the source? And we see here that God tells explicitly where man comes from, why they exist. Right? First chapter of the Bible explains one of the biggest questions that people ask. Who are we and why are we here? And the answer is, we are made by God to reflect God. We are made by God specifically, intentionally, directly, to show God to the world. To be a representation of God on earth. Not to be God, but to be the image of God. And he uses this term, God says, let us make man in our image. So if you don't know that God made you, you don't know who you are. Because if God, notice how the language here. Everything else has been sort of this format, sun, moon, stars, earth, creation, animals. But then it comes to man. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And the way this is written in the Hebrew, it's sort of a royal proclamation. As if God gathered the whole court of heaven and creation together and made a declaration to do something special. That's the way it's written. And when it says, let us, that's mostly what the let us means. It's sort of a royal we. So you could look and you could see some hints of the Trinity, but mainly it means God is standing before the court as the king to make a special decree. And that special decree is not animals, it's not trees, it's not the billions of things in this world that are magnificent like stars and galaxies. It's to make a person. It's to make a creation. This is the problem with the scientific religion. They try to unexplain this. They say man's nothing special. Man's just like everything else in the world. He was like everything else, and he kind of changed, and he's just like everything else still. Just a variation of the same thing. But in order to do that, they say this, this right here, this miracle of God creating a special person, that miracle is not true. But instead, they produce a bunch of other miracles. So Bobbing says, to avoid one miracle, many miracles have to be assumed. To get to where we are now with people, you have to assume a lot of miracles if God didn't create us. To not see the, the uniqueness and, and the, the level that man is above everything else, you don't see that, you don't see man, you don't see humanity. But if you do see it and you do know there's something different, where'd it come from? What miracle produced humanity? You could say it's the miracle of science or chance, but how is that any easier to swallow than the miracle of God? And so Christians believe that a miracle was produced right here, that God has special creation. He created man, both body and soul. He said, let us make man in our image. So he created man in his own image. It says later that he formed him out of the dust. So we share that with all of creation. We're, we're made out of the same material. 
but then he breathed into him the breath of life. And that combination that we call mankind is unique. It unites two separate things, the spirit and the flesh. Man is unique because it's both physical and spiritual in one person. It's a bridge between heaven and earth. No other creature on this world, as magnificent as they may be, bridges heaven and earth. And isn't that the image of God? Doesn't that tell us something about God himself? And that's what we're meant to do. We're meant to say, look at us so you can look at God. And we are both body and soul, which means our bodies are made in the image of God and our souls are made in the image of God, but not separately, together. So to reflect the image of God, you reflect it both physically and spiritually. And not in a crude way, as if we are a direct copy of God. God's too big to make a copy. We are a representation a physical created representation that is not meant to focus on us, but meant to point to God. That's what it means to be in the image of God. To reflect that which is outside of creation to creation by means of a special union. Which leads us to the next point, which is all people are made in the image of God. That's not just an assumption or a logical conclusion. The Bible explicitly says it. All are made in the image of God. Now, sometimes we try to break down that into subcategories of when people are in the image and when they're not. Now, sometimes we don't do it consciously, but we still do it. We understand from Scripture that the image of God is special. It's unique. It's to be valued. It's to be cherished. It's to be cared for. It's to be recognized as noble. So if we can recognize something as the image of God, then we're going to take special care of it. The world doesn't want to do that, and so we have to push back against that. So who's made in the image of God? Everyone. Now, in this day and age, abortion's a big deal, isn't it? And if we can understand who's made in the image of God, then we'll have the answer to the abortion question. When are you in the image of God? Listen to what Psalm 139 says. This is David talking to God. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Who did God cover? David. Where was David? David was in the womb. He was David in the womb. He was a, he says, you covered me in my mother's womb, not somebody else. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. Doesn't this reflect Genesis 1 where God declares making creation? See how he's continuing to make creation? How he's continuing to make the image of God? My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. You see what David's saying? He was an image of God in the womb because God was making him. When no one else could see David, God saw David. When no one else could recognize David, when he was unformed, as it were, 
God knew who he was. Not in an abstract sense, in a very physical sense. You skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. That's the womb. That's where you can't see it. Your eyes saw my substance. We don't need to identify the stages of human life to know that it's human life. The Bible tells us. When we can't see the baby, it doesn't matter. God can see the baby. And so we, when we recognize the image of God, we recognize that all people are made in the image of God. From when we can't recognize them to when we can. We don't decide who's the image of God. God decides. And he decides when he makes them. With his own hands, as it were. He makes each individual person. Now, science tries to explain life, but it really can't. It can explain a lot, but it can't explain everything. We understand that God makes the image with each new baby. And so abortion is wrong because it undermines the image of God. And yes, that causes a ton of problems. But valuing good things always causes problems. Standing up for what's good in people always causes friction. That's why you see people always trying to marginalize other people. You see there's no groups in this creation. There's just one group. People. Image of God. It's everybody. There's no subgroups. There's no categories. An unborn baby is image of God. But you're also an image of God when you get out of the womb. No matter what you look like. You are made in the image of God because all people are made in the image of God and you don't lose the image of God because you don't look like everybody else. Genesis chapter 5 says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Who's Adam? When God created man, he made them him in the likeness of God. Male and female had created them and blessed them and named them man when they were created, mankind. Okay, great. So that's Adam and Eve. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. After his image, named him Seth. See what's transferred? Adam was made in the image of God. We can see that. But then Adam's son was made in Adam's image, who was in the image of God. Which means if you came from Adam, you're made in the image of God. Who came from Adam? Everybody. Anytime you sense or see categories being put between people, go back to this beginning and say we all came from Adam and that image was passed down by God from Adam to his son, to his son, to all of his sons and daughters. The only division that we see in the Bible in the beginning is between man and woman, male and female. There's no gender, there's no races, there's no ethnicities, there's no nationalities. But there is gender, sex difference. But God makes a special point to say that they're both created in the image of God. Lest we assume because there's a created difference that one is more image of God and one's not. So he says, then let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See the emphasis? And again in chapter 5, he says, male and female, he created them and blessed them. Who is made in the image of God? 
all people, male and female. Women are made in the image of God. Unfortunately, that's not been made obvious throughout church history. But it's made clear in the scripture. Now, interestingly, it's male and female together represent God's uniqueness. That's the problem with some forms of, say, feminism that wants to remove man from the picture, or some forms of patriarchy which wants to remove women. Can't do that. It's male and female. Together, Adam was created in the image of God, but God said, you don't represent me enough. You're deficient. So he made woman to complete the picture of God, the image of God. So man means man and woman, male and female. That's how God designed it. Unless we think that there's a basic difference between male and female, they're both in the image of God. So when you see sexism, what is that except a denial of the image of God? So often Christians can rail against abortion because it undermines the image of God. But what about sexual assault? We have no problem condemning Democrats for supporting abortion, but we don't condemn Republicans for supporting sexual assault. Which one undermines the image of God? Both. That's why you can't really support a political party. You can vote for them. You can advocate for certain policies. But any group of people that advocates for the killing of people undermines the image of God. And any group of people that will support a president who brags about sexual assault undermines the image of God. So where does that leave you? How about with the Bible? You don't need to pick a party. You can be a Christian. Do we realize that the whole world doesn't revolve between left and right, Republican, Democrat? We as Christians stand outside of politics as Christians and tell politics and tell Democrats and tell Republicans what God says. And as soon as you enter into politics, you lose your voice. You now have to pick a side. We don't pick sides except for God's side. And so when a Republican undermines the image of God, we say, you're wrong, you're sinful, you're undermining, undermining humanity. And when a Democrat says it, we do the same. And if they claim to be a Christian, that's irrelevant. We speak from God's perspective, not from within the political system. And what I've seen, what many of us have seen, is the more involved you get into politics, the less truth you'll speak to your people. The more you'll call out the other side, but never your own. What is that? That's saying some are more in the image of God than others, and those are my people. But God stands outside of all of that, and so should we. Because with this image of God, there's a calling. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. To be human is to rule over creation. It's not to sit passively and let the world take over. Some people believe that. Environmentalists often believe we should just stop and let nature overtake. That's not what it means to be human. What it means to be human is to cultivate the earth. Environmentalism and the scripture are perfectly in line. Adam was to create a garden. He wasn't to strip mine the garden. He wasn't to consume the world. He was to subdue it, cultivate it. Instead of wild corn, he planted in rows. Instead of the grass taking over, he trimmed it. And we know that as you subdue the earth, you can increase it. That's what it means to be human. It means to be human 
to rule the earth like God rules, see how we reflect God's rule, but also to create new things. If God starts out his story with creation, what do we do when we reflect God? We create. To be creative is to be like God. Artists, musicians reflect God's image. Builders, writers, teachers, anytime you produce something new, whether it's human life or a clean house, you're creating. You're showing God to the world. That's good. Creativity should be encouraged because it shows God. And all of these things dignify man. Psalm chapter 8 says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. If you disrespect people, you disrespect God. God has given honor and glory to humanity as the highest creation. When you undermine that, you say to God, I don't agree with you. I don't think man's as great as you say he is. I think he's trash. And you see when people treat other people in a way that undermines their humanity, they reject God. And Christians do it. Insults. The Bible speaks often about how we talk. We are to magnify the creation of man in as much as it reflects God. as his special creation. And we are to seek to give man dignity. No matter what he's done. You see what's happened here? He created him and he gave him this honor before he did anything. So we don't treat people right because they do right. We treat people right because they're people. We don't respond to the image of God. We seek it out. This is hard because so often we want to treat people how they treat us. We want to treat people based on their actions. Do you know where human rights comes from? The Bible. You can be a murderer, a serial killer, a terrorist, and you deserve to be treated a certain way because you're a human. Now, we don't like that, do we? So human rights say you treat all people the same because all people are made in the image of God. And you, you give them justice, sure, but some things can't be taken away. The Constitution tried to put this in, into play when it said all men are created equal, endowed with rights, from their creator, not given to them by the government, not given to them by other people, given to them by God because they're in his image. To be a Christian is to protect those who we don't like, who hurt us, because they're made in the image of God. Now the hard part is, all were made in the image of God, but all corrupted the image of God. So yes, everyone bears the image of God in their body and their soul, but everyone has corrupted that same image. Genesis chapter 3, man chose to live without God. And poison entered their body and soul. But it didn't erase what God had created. It corrupted it. So we say man is corrupted, not erased. 
Genesis chapter 9 shows us this. And God blessed Noah. You know the story of Noah? Man got so bad, so wicked, so anti-God that God wiped him off the planet. That's pretty bad, isn't it? But then he says to Noah, he saved Noah, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Does that sound familiar? He's reissuing the creation command. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Even though the world had descended to such a depth that God wiped out most of it, he still said they're made in the image of God. There's no depth that humanity can sink to that removes the image of God without removing man himself. We are so, by nature, made in the image of God that the only way to remove the image of God is to destroy man completely. So the image of God continues despite its corruption. Corrupted but not erased. God in his grace continues to maintain our bodies despite our attempts to destroy them. And when you see people destroying their body, you see them trying to remove the image of God. They can't stand the image of God. They want to get rid of God, but their own bodies reflect God, so they seek to destroy their bodies. And when you see society doing that, you see it being built in. As society becomes more sinful, it seeks to destroy God more. So we're totally corrupt, but not erased. Man attempts to erase it, but he can't. He's very creative. It's ongoing. In fact, when you look at the word image in the Bible, you see God making the image. And basically the rest of the Old Testament, the word image only shows up with idols. It's an interesting comparison. God makes man his image, and man can, tries to replace God with man-made images. The image God, man makes beautiful things. He's constantly trying to create things that will replace God and even replace himself. Romans chapter 1 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. In the very creation of our body and soul, we know God. And so man tries to suppress that knowledge, erase it. That's what murder, that's what suicide, that's what drug abuse, that's what all these things are, is trying to remove God from our very beings. Suppress him in as many ways as we can. And we do it with other people. James chapter 3 says, but no man can tame the tongue. Wait, what's the tongue have to do with creation of man. It is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. We found a way to say God is great, but his image is not. We love God, but we hate his image. We worship God, but we destroy his image. That's impossible. If you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. First John says. Jesus says, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it. How like unto it? Made in the likeness of it. Love your neighbor as yourself. When you stop loving your neighbor, you stop loving God. If your wife or your spouse or your parent were to give you a card, 
with their picture in it, and you proceeded to burn that picture and turn to them and say, oh, I love you. Why'd you burn the picture? Oh, I can't stand that picture. I hate looking at it. But I love you. So we hate looking at our neighbor, and we turn to God and say, we love you. And God says, no, you don't. You have creatively figured out a way to pretend like you love God but hate your neighbor. So when we say, what does a Christian look like? Someone who values all human life and works to protect and preserve it and honor it and bring it up and dignify it. That's what a Christian looks like. A sinner looks like someone who does the opposite of that. And so we know a tree by its fruits. Good trees produce good fruits and bad trees produce bad fruits. But God tells us what the end of this is. If God is good, and if the image of God is good, when you seek to destroy the image of God, you seek to destroy God. What do you have to do with that? So God says to people, I will give you what you want. I will remove the image. I will remove myself. Revelation chapter 19, last book of the Bible, the word image reappears frequently. But not for man, for the beast. Isn't that the opposite of a man, a beast? And in Revelation, they make an image to the beast. Instead of an image of God, it's an image of the beast. In other words, you've chosen sides. And John says, I saw the beast, the anti-human, the unhuman, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. That's Jesus. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. There it is. There's your choice. Worship God, value humanity, or worship the beast and his image. What happens? These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of Jesus who sat on the horse. What other option is there? If you're anti-human, how can you live with humans? And so God says, if you hate people and you hate God, I'll get rid of you. So choose who you will worship. Worship God or worship the beast. And see if your life reflects that. Because the only place for people who hate God, who hate good, is to be destroyed. But see, we all have done that, haven't we? We've all disrespected people. We've all valued ourselves over others as if we were more in the image of God than others. We've all ignored people as if they didn't matter. And by ignoring people as if they didn't matter, we ignored God. So don't we all worship the beast then? Don't we all dismiss humanity? Focus on ourselves and focus on those things that will give us what we want. So how do we restore that image of God to what it should have been? What Adam could have been if he had not chosen the beast? How do we get back to that now that we've been corrupted? Doesn't it seem hopeless? It is hopeless. You can never go back to Adam. It's too late. It's all been corrupted. But what the Bible tells us is that Christ can restore the image of God. Not the image of Adam, but the image of God. So what does Christ do? The first thing Christ does is God, the Son, who existed from all eternity, 
assumes our image. He's made in our image. Colossians chapter 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So first, he is God from all eternity. He's the image of God, perfect representation. But then he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ, who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, because he was equal, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. See what Jesus did? Jesus first made us in his image, in the image of God and creation. We corrupt that. So then God comes down and says, I'll be made in your image again in his form of a servant. And being found in an appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient. You see, when you take on the form of Adam, you assume Adam's identity. And you assume Adam's end. And when Adam corrupted the image of God in him, he chose destruction. And when Jesus assumed Adam's identity, he chose destruction. And so it says, in coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He became man and died as a man. Took on our image to do what we couldn't do. And he writes, as the failure of mankind, Adam, to be the creator's wise image-bearing steward over creation, has not led the creator to rewrite the vocation, but rather to send the Messiah as the truly human being. The purpose is that in his renewed, resurrected human life, he can be and do for humankind and all creation what neither humankind nor creation could do for themselves. We can't get back to Adam. So Christ became the new Adam took on Adam's image, died as Adam, died as us, and then was resurrected as the second Adam, the new humanity. We can't go back to Adam, but we can go forward to the new Adam. So when Christ is resurrected, he does away with all the corruption that the old Adam had and is remade into a human that is perfect. And what he offers us is that new humanity. We take his image, the image of God, and are given what Adam himself didn't have. 1 Corinthians 15 says, As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Are you a Christian? Then you will be remade in Christ's image. You will be a true human. See, you're not truly human right now. You realize that? You are less than human. Not as in you're not human, but you haven't become what you should have become. You're not who you should be. You can't reach the potential of being human. The answer is not to be something else. It's to be made who we were supposed to be from the beginning. But that means going through Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, and that's only for Christians, that's only for those who trust in Christ. That's the we, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. As we follow Christ, we become a different person. Our image is restored. We become human. 
we become truly human by becoming like Christ. Union with Christ is the only way to be truly human. So many people want to escape humanity. No, you need to be truly human. And that's only through Christ. Christ restores humanity to us and then elevates it. Past what Adam could even imagine. You know what God created you to be? A human in a relationship with him. That's what you're created to be. Which is why your life is so hard. Because you're human, but your relationship is not good. And so there's corruption, there's division, there's sin, there's heartache. And what God has offered through the gospel is to restore that relationship to what Adam had. He walked in the garden with God. There was no pain, there was no grief. He and God walked face to face. And that's what's been offered to us. A restoration of the image of God in Christ. You can't be human without God. So you can't be human without Christ. But to have Christ, you can achieve what you were always meant to be. You can reach that dignity, that nobility that you were created to be. You can achieve heights that Adam never had. You can be greater than everyone that sinned and stayed that way. It's possible to be human. And it's offered to you in Christ. But without Christ, you become the beast. So who are you going to choose today? You're going to choose Christ and restoration? Or are you going to choose the beast and destruction? Christ or Satan? A son of God or a son of Satan? Let's pray.